You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my podcast partner, Lisa Schnare. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Today, we're talking about what it takes to set up an unforgettable buyer experience, how to keep sales and marketing operations aligned, and the pursuit of continuous improvement in the buyer experience. And to help us out with this topic today, we have Sandy Robinson, VP of Revenue Operations and Business Development at Nimbus. Sandy has over 18 years experience leading sales operations teams, which would alone be a pretty serious accolade. But Sandy also possesses a certificate in management and leadership from MIT. In her current role at Nimbus, she drives company growth, heading up marketing, sales, and customer success operations. Sandy, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for making me sound really old. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was not our intention. You're experienced. You're an expert in your topic. This is what we want to showcase. (laughs) You mean we forgot to mention you graduated MIT at 15? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Carlos. Appreciate that. No, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. All right. Before we jump in the topic of the day, one question that we love to ask our attendees at the beginning, just to get to know them a little bit better. So, Sandy, what is something that you are passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to know? I think it's my love of fishing out in my kayak. So I am one of those crazy people who go out there at dawn, get my kayak out, my fishing poles. I love all kinds of fishing. I grew up uh, bass fishing, like freshwater fishing with my dad, and I just kind of got back into it. It's a very peaceful place for me, even if I don't catch a fish, but I definitely have a one-seater kayak, so wow, nobody can bother me. <laughs> it's just really helpful to relax. Recently got into saltwater fishing as well. I spent some time down in the Keys in my kayak there, so it's just lots of fun. Caught my first snook this summer. It's just, I enjoy it a lot. Can't wait to get back out there. Awesome. That's amazing. So Sandy, I love fishing as well. In fact, this year, I've been going out west three years in a row trying to catch some salmon. And this year I caught my first salmon, which was a blast. And if you're into catching some rainbows and browns, come join me in the North Georgia mountains. We can go fishing right here in my neighborhood, in my backyard. Oh, nice. Nice, nice. I did a long time ago, did a salmon run way back in the day. But it's been a long time since I've done any salmon fishing. But I might hit you up on that. Amazing. Amazing. I have so many questions over like how you don't fall out of a kayak once you get a fish out of line. Oh, but that is not... <laughs> the biggest fear that I have being in Florida are the gators. So I've heard of people with the fish on, gator comes up to the boat. So I'm, I'm pretty aware of that. I've had some come pretty close, a couple water moccasins. So you're a little on alert uh, during gator season, like in the height of the summer, if you're out fishing. But There's lots of critters out there, especially around these parts of Jacksonville. (laughs) Goodness. Wow. Okay. Well, good to know. So pro tip, everybody, the podcast isn't about fishing, but now you've got an actionable item from this conversation. 
So unfortunately, this isn't a fishing podcast. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and just ask like, Sandy, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Like, how did you first enter the world of revenue operations? What led you to where you are today? It's interesting. I carried a bag for years. I was selling yellow pages way back in the day. And that was my first real true sales job where the first two weeks of training was you learn the materials and then you learn how to sell them. And then you had to close the VP of sales at the end of the training to actually have a job. It was fun. It was super competitive. I really enjoyed that. But I've always been passionate about leading people and leading teams and making improvements. So I kind of jumped into sales leadership from there for a number of years and went over, found myself kind of in the insurance world and Reporting up is something that sales leaders face every day, every week. They're trying to keep their job, they're telling their story and everything like that. And I found it entirely frustrating that I couldn't get reliable information from corporate. And I would have to wait two, three times for a report to ensure the data is accurate. So I had a great mentor who was like, look, there's this thing called sales operations. You're already doing a lot of this work yourself because I taught myself the administrative stuff and the CRM. And so I kind of made the leap over into sales ops at that time and was running national sales ops for a Kemper. And it just really, I think the thing that I've learned over the years in my career is that salespeople, you have to really understand their mentality and what they're facing and the challenges. And so from an ops perspective, if everything can enable them to have clear and easy conversations with their customers, then I'm doing my job, right? Or their prospects. And so the last couple of years, I've spent time in more in the SaaS world. That's been a ton of fun. And just, I love how fast it changes and working with startups is just for me able to really dive in and create something from scratch, build processes, and then continually adjust them. I love that. And something that we all know, some I won't paint them all with the same brush, some salespeople are not great at, is the data entry, the reporting, the analytics. It's interesting that you took that approach right from the get-go as a salesperson. You wanted to know the data. It sounds like you are a very data-driven person. Definitely. And I also know that's what CEOs care about and CROs, they care about the data. And I really, some of it was self-preservation. I'm not going to lie. I want to be able to keep my job, (laughs) tell the story. Like I'm a great sales manager and here's why Like I need to be here again and I need to be here next year. And so it's really, you know, helping to lift your people up and show, okay, here are where the gaps are. Here's how we'd fill the gaps. So I think that's critical skill set for any sales leader to have, but having the accurate data and tools, just even things from decks that are aligned to the actual customer buying journey and what the customer is looking for is super important because otherwise salespeople won't use it. I mean, they're going to sit there and they're going to change the deck 400 times. They're going to make their own, put their own information in everything like that. And that's a lot of administrative time and they could be out selling, right? So I think it's HubSpot, what what do they say? Like around... 30% of salespeople, they're doing administrative stuff, like 30, 40% of their time is just really doing those things. So to the extent that I can help and make an impact on that, I think that's really important. So Sandy, in, in our engagements, we talk a lot about measuring success. And hey, let's not just make this an event. Let's just not, let's look at those leading and lagging indicators and see where we're moving the needle and where we're not. 
And I could tell you some organizations that have very strong sales ops and enablement, hey, they're already measuring things already. So they do great. But I get other organizations that are not. And I was just wondering, do you think it's the lack of processes? Is it the lack of tools? Because everybody wants to buy another tool these days. Or is it just come down to behaviors? It's a combination. A lot of it is behavior and a mindset within the organization, right? So if everybody is aligned on the process, the sales managers, the sales leaders, the marketing leaders, the success leaders, if they're all aligned to one process, then it makes it a lot easier. But that being said, you can't have lagging indicators without leading indicators. So you still need to worry about top of funnel metrics. Do we have enough leads coming in? What is our conversion rate and things like that? It is important, but where things fall down is when there's not alignment and consistency and engagement. And in organizations that are very siloed, it's really important to connect and break down those silos, which is why I'm so passionate about revenue operations, is that really attempts to do that. It kind of takes away that idea of like them, they did this, that was well, marketing did this and sales did this. And it kind of brings it together. And even though they still may be different silos and different departments, it's more of a unified buying journey. I want to go back to the sales and marketing piece there, but we did our little research before doing the podcast, your LinkedIn profile, you describe yourself as a status quo disruptor. What does that mean? So when you start getting into enterprise sales, especially in the world, the technical world that I'm in and have been in the last several years, you're working with a lot of senior sellers. They have a lot of experiences. They also have a lot of habits (laughs) and the way that Mm -hmm. they do things. And sometimes unintentionally, because again, we're all creatures of habit. We all have our own routines, but they may not necessarily embrace a new way. And so what we've done at Nimbus, and I am not, I cannot take full credit for this. The ideas came from our CEO and CRO. What we've done is flip traditional sales on its head. And the idea of having this Well, if you're in stage one, you have to do this. In stage two, you have to do this. And then it's locked when you go to this stage. You can't go backwards. We threw that all out the window. I mean, if I could remove probabilities in Salesforce, I would, because it's really all around, how's the customer buying? Did they get a new chief compliance officer six months into the deal? And that totally screws things up. So we have to do things differently on our end. And we have to be agile. We have to be flexible. And so I'd say for the last almost two years, we've been really pushing this process and getting people to look at things differently. So for example, if you have a meeting, I don't know, a month from now, and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to work on other things. What can you be doing? Literally, what are the two or things every day that you can do to move the needle? You're dealing with eight, nine, 10 people that you're selling to at the organization that are buying from you, they all have their own motivators and their own goals. So what are the two or things you can be doing every day working up to that meeting? And we all believe that that'll passionately believe that that'll save weeks and months on the sales process, but it requires people doing things differently. And the way that 
my team can help enable this is to try to link up everything and make it smooth from the systems aspect and from the process aspect, not bog people down with doing more things, teaching them how if you just do these couple of things, it's actually going to be less work for you to do. It's interesting you talk about sales stages. When we go into accounts, we don't try to change them. We try to map to them. But sometimes these organizations, I got to remind them, hey, it doesn't always go from one to two to three. Sometimes it goes one, two, three, back to one because things change. And for some folks, they find that very disruptive. In fact, how have you folks been able to get around something like that? I don't think it's going around them. I think it's understanding what it is that has caused the change and what can we arm the buyer with on their end on how can we help them get over that hump, whatever the hump is. So realizing that you're selling to humans, you're not selling to an organization. We're all people that have jobs and roles in our organization. The organization doesn't say yes or no. You have to really align on consensus and individual yeses and nos to get to that end goal. Yeah, it's really not going around or getting over, but just getting them to have, whether it's a piece of data that they need to bring to their boss, or if it's a new, like I said, a new chief compliance officer, we might have to go all the way back and start due diligence again. It just may need to happen. And having the system stop and not be able to go backwards makes literally zero sense. So it just kind of goes back to how do the reps really feel about the deal? What is their forecast judgment? And then for our CRO, I've got his, his own special forecast set up as well because he's going to let the team forecast what they believe is happening. And then he might go, okay, well, I'm going to be a little more conservative on this or I'm going to change a date or something like that. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, you did. You did. We'll circle back to a little bit about that buyer experience too in a little bit here. Yeah, Sandy, I love how you also said about humans because that's something I mention a lot. Like, there's that whole great debate of like how much of sales is going to be automated or powered by AI in the future. And I just think like, well, we're dealing with humans. Humans are unpredictable. Things happen in our lives. You mentioned like chief compliance officer role changes or like hiring, but also if your main buyer has a personal issue, I think we all learned during the pandemic that it was like people got sick. They were unexpectedly out of the office for days or, or offline for days. And, and in some unfortunate cases, even ended up in hospital or something like that. And that's unpredictable. So how can we not want to be human in our selling and understand that there's just like, we might have those boxes to tick. Uh, sales stages are important. Don't get me wrong. It just is one of those things where we can't always predict. You've got the people that in the forecast, they're like, 100%, this is going to close next week. I had this happen in a live workshop, one of my only live workshops I did this year face-to-face, -face, where the person was like, no, it's going to close next week. And I had the SVP of sales in the room and he was like, so have you never lost a deal you forecasted at 100%? And she was a young seller and she said, no. And of course, he jumped in with a story. This one goes a little dark, but he said that he actually lost a deal or had a huge setback because a guy got in a car accident. Oh, wow. yep. He was like, that was something I had forecasted at 100%, like signature was coming in on Friday. So... It was he it went extreme with that story, but at the same time, it was a great example of like how life is unpredictable. Right. Well, or like hurricanes on the last day of the quarter. Oh my goodness. Yes. 
that impacted deals around the country, I'm sure, and it impacted quarter results. So we just need to adjust and we need to be empathetic to our customers and understand what they're going through in their personal lives and really share part of that is part of the sales journey and their buying journey is that they're connect they're connecting with humans. Exactly. Exactly. And so I know that that was something that you're very passionate about as we were preparing for the podcast today. Saw a lot about like flipping the script into buyer experience and what are our customers really thinking and really putting ourselves in their shoes. Can you talk a little bit about why you're so passionate about that? Because it's not about us, right? It's not about the company. And most companies look at it, well, this is our sales process and we have to do things a certain way. And we have this waterfall approach to doing things. And it's really uh, just being on the other end of it as bringing on different software SaaS companies that I work with and the experience that I have. I understand, like, how would I want to be treated in this? I go through implementations and all these different things. And I want to know that the expectations are there. And so it's easy to get caught up in, well, I've got to make this number, I've got to make this. And obviously, there is an element of that pressure. But if you're not really thinking about them and how they really need to complete their jobs and do the things that they need to do, It's just going to make it hard to have a long-standing lifetime customer and referrals and everything like that that goes along with it, especially in the age of social media. You want your new customers raving about you and posting stuff on social media and bringing in, driving in those referrals. And if you make the experience all about them, just from down to personas, I love in you never have them nailed down, but just not just getting into the role of your buyers, but the different personas that may exist in the different industries that you're involved in. For us, we have, we work with banks and credit unions. Credit unions philosophically are different. The roles in the organizations are different than banks. And so we want to be sensitive to that and what they care about. So just applying some basic marketing philosophies to that just so you can tailor the experience for those individuals that you're meeting with is important. And then aligning the CRM to it is always helpful, right? So if you can align the data, use the different tools that provide accurate email addresses and phone numbers and data about their backgrounds and things like that, that's really helpful to be able to tailor their experience as you're communicating with them. Oh, Sandy, we couldn't agree with you more. In fact, we talk about the fact that, hey, it's individuals that make buying decisions, not companies. And the bigger, the more complex the deal, the more individuals you have involved. So the other side of it is just thinking everyone out there loves to buy. No one wants to be sold. So when you think about this buying experience, it's more than just even the people. It's the experience that you're giving them throughout that sales cycle. I even, you know, in organizations that have a very competitive market, I hate to use the word commodity, but let's just say it's very competitive. I remind them that they buy you as much as they buy that product, that experience that they have with you. So that being said, as you think about Nimbus, what are some of the ways your reps are able to get that perspective, that information from those buyers about what their wants and needs are, about the challenges that they're having? Any suggestions there on on how you folks engage your buyers better? There's lots of ways to do this, obviously, but since 
the pandemic has kind of let up a little and people are traveling and doing in-person events and everything like that, I think getting back out and shaking hands, kissing babies and all of those things has really gone a long way for the team. The team's out continually traveling, especially as we're building these relationships and in a complex envir- sales environment, they really want to know that the people that are building the product are going to come. So it's really a massive collaboration. It's not just the head of sales going out and taking people to dinner. It's folks on the product team, engineers, sales engineers, all the folks that are really going to help to make this experience the customer success and operations team. So really getting in and building that confidence and giving them a picture of what their experience is going to be like should they pursue whatever the solution is with Nimbus or really any organization or any complex sales. So I think that's a critical part of any buying journey is having those relationships, obviously, to the extent the prospect is comfortable. But then again, engaging the collaborative teams. I mentioned the silos before. The internal collaboration is as critical as the external collaboration. And sometimes you might be working with 20 people on a huge deal internally in an organization. And so how is that coordinated and strategizing on those internally before you're meeting with the customer. But I think that really brings an important element as you go on later in the buying journey. So today, are you mapping out those individuals in these banks and credit unions and then tying them back to different individuals and roles within your own organization? And if so, any tools you're using to do that? Yeah. So we have, in terms of tools, I've really tried to streamline the selection of tools and make sure that they are, it's easy. Like when I first started two years ago, Hey, you have this budget. Oh, I'm going to get this tool, this tool, this is neat, but you only need a few, right? And if they're not highly integrated and work well together, people will not use them. So true. And so I don't know that I want to name certain tools, but like there was one that's used for prospecting and we had it set up really well to integrate into Salesforce, which is our CRM tool, but realize later that the process that we had kind of locked down and set up for lead conversion wasn't being used because the team was just using the Chrome extension, which didn't have all the settings because it's Chrome extension is just an extension. You can't really do much customizing it. So the tool had very low usage and it just really honestly was a learning experience, we'll call it, for the first year. So I moved over to Salesforce has their own internal app for prospecting. And it's right there. They're used to working in the account and they actually use it. It's intuitive to set the message because you're in Salesforce. So ensuring that the, not just that they have an integration with whatever your CRM is, literally, how does that work? What does that look like? To what level can you integrate it? For our enablement tool, everything is literally set up by our milestones. And so if you're working on a contract, you're in that milestone, the, all the documents pop up that are there because the integration works very well. 
So it's easy to make mistakes and sign up for really cool stuff, but then people will literally never use them. And so we've got basically a data tool to get the emails and all of that. And then that's, I think, our only... And then then we have a video tool. So those are only tools that are not native to Salesforce, but are integrated very well. And then, I'm sorry, then we have a, an enablement tool. And then we the rest of them are Salesforce apps that are built in. So you literally can just log into one place and do everything that you need to. And then you see the usage goes up. You save a lot of money because you don't need all the extra fancy stuff. And then we do a data buy because fortunately, we know the world of banking and credit unions is pretty finite. So I have a resource that we purchase quarterly data, and then we just dump it in and update all of the accounts. We're able to have that information in there. So as things change or mergers and acquisitions have, we have updated information. That's amazing. We've had the same experience, actually, like teaching a sales methodology, a sales framework that we want to actually help our clients reinforce and truly adopt and have it really become part of their DNA. We realized the same thing. It had to be native in Salesforce or in their CRM system, whichever that is. Otherwise, it's just so much easier to not change, right? Everybody, we're creatures of habit and everybody falls back on what they're comfortable with rather than moving towards the excellence that can be achieved with actually making the change. So we found that it's much stickier and much easier to reinforce our methodologies with native app in the CRM. And it's also just right there in front of your face. Like you say, this logging into, I know like SSO and all these things, sure, but logging into all these different systems and having a million tabs open is not, it's not great for productivity either right? Like you think about like, I've got to click from this to this to this. And um, we all know that data entry is one of the <laughs> most complained about tasks, probably. So if you can just be in that one screen, it's so much easier to also protect the integrity of your data, the integrity of your notes, make sure that things aren't being missed in the system or because that's really important for when territories change or reps leave or whatever, we need to have that information in one place. So I love your approach to that. And when you think about when you're talking to your clients and you're talking about the need to have versus the nice to have, is there something you come across multiple times that falls into that nice to have bucket? It's the shiny toy that everybody wants, but is actually a time suck or a productivity suck? I think every salesperson wants a personal (laughs) assistant, but uh, (laughs) yes, (laughs) for us, I think, I don't know that we spend a lot of time thinking about nice to haves. I'd say the critical and I, the one I forgot to mention, which I don't know why, because is I think the most critical is in the most, I think referenced and used is we use chorus. I've used Gong as well. They both have amazing functionality. And so having that integrated right into the opportunity where anybody can go in there and see the last call that happened, it's so hugely, massively helpful for deal collaboration because not everybody's on a call at the same time. And you can grab the transcript and everything from there. So that's like critical to have. Nice to have, I would love, you know, AI and forecasting tools and all these really neat things that are out there. I was looking into a gamification tool the other day. It just sounds like, oh, that'd be really cool. If someone did this, they got a prize and whatever. But right now, like those are definitely nice to haves for us. But I think critical though, I've done commissions manually. So we have 
commissions. And I have an amazing director of sales administration that works with me. And she runs all the data and the commissions and everything. And But having an actual commission tool to do that and to set up just to ensure the accuracy, the security and everything around it. I think that is, I think sometimes like in prior roles, I was like, oh, we can wait till later. We don't need that right now. But really that's kind of the first thing. You're one of the earlier tools that I think revenue operations team should set up. It saves a lot of time and stress too on the people that are actually running the data numbers. The headache isn't setting it up, but the having the approval processes and everything like that in a smooth commissions tool, I think is an important. So I think some people would think that's a nice to have, but to me, that's like required early stage. Yeah. Commissions are personal. You want to make sure you don't make mistakes as well, right? Like that's somebody's... People want to know when they're going to get paid. When are they going to get paid? They want to know. And I would send those emails myself manually and I would just stress out like, do I have the right person's name on the right statement? And like, because you don't want to send somebody else's commission statement to somebody else. That would just be detrimental, right? So it would take just even to send the final reports out, it would take me like a couple hours to send them all just because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't like putting the wrong name somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. I have uh, designed and redesigned and redesigned compensation plans in my career. I've kind of come down to the fact of like, man, it, first off, it it needs to be simple and understandable for the rep because if they ever feel that it's this black magical box, they lose that motivation. And then having a process behind the scenes so you can accurately calculate it where it doesn't take a supercomputer to go figure it out is another aspect of it. So you can't make it so complex that nobody understands it at the end of the day or it's too hard to calculate. So I'm having flashbacks. When it works well, it's interesting, the change in behaviors and perspective of individuals. They're getting paid. They see that they put in the hard work and they see themselves getting paid for it. Hey, I promised I'd go back to it. You mentioned sales and marketing working well together. Can you elaborate? We agree with you. And we talk to a lot of organizations, especially ones that are trying to scale and scale fast. We all need to be on the same page with common goals and perspectives. How have you all been able to make that work well in your organization? Nothing's perfect, that's for sure, in any organization. But I think we have a really good alignment with our leadership team. So not only the C-level team, but kind of the next rung, like all of my peers in the organization. We spend a lot of time together. We were part of a leadership program. So some of the folks in marketing been very close with. So it's an easy as a quick chat. Hey, is this coming up? I think aligning on roles and responsibilities is a basic thing, but putting it in writing and having a quick, like, let's connect, for example. So I, as revenue operations, I handle, my team handles all of the data around our marketing emails, our Pardot, everything kind of on the marketing ops side. But we work with the content marketers and everybody to know what's coming, what events are coming up. So we sat down with all of the correct stakeholders and we just aligned on a process. Who does what? Where? Where's the bridge from? When does it come to RevOps? And then what is my responsibility when it comes there? And we all agreed on a process. It doesn't work perfectly. Some of us forget to do one thing. We forget to do another thing. But 
having that, at least that discussion, because otherwise people just make assumptions and then they, well, they didn't do their job. And it's like, well, maybe they didn't know that was their job to do. So with really any process, it's, you've got to start with that roles and responsibilities and then just build relationships, right? So it's really about, again, internally relationships with people. What do they get excited about? What's on their plate? How busy are they? I know our marketers are insanely busy. And I, so to the extent, okay, if you want to just give me the messaging, we'll drop it in the email template. We'll schedule it out. Is this date cool? And it's just, how do we kind of work together? Because it's really, again, a singular goal. If we get that process down, we have lead metrics, leads coming in because we can call in leads that eventually turn into revenue. So I don't know. I look at it as one team and it drives me absolutely bonkers when somebody's like, oh, that's your sales process. It's like, no, it's a revenue generating process and it's a customer process and it's a company process. And that's why I love the kind of transition of calling it a revenue function because the entire company is centered around revenue. So I just say relationships and then just good alignment and documentation on roles and responsibilities. Ah, oh, so true. I was just doing talking to a new client and I was talking to the sales side and then their counterpart on the delivery services sales support side. And I said, hey, so on the support side, what's your biggest rock? What are your big goal? Well, the revenue number, of course. And I was like, okay, so what is it? How close are you? He goes, well, that's not my job. That's sales. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you can't just say it's their job to get the revenue. We're all in it together. And that's where you start creating those connections. In fact, I remember we had someone on a podcast recently and says, hey, it's not about a handoff because you talked about the buyers earlier. Buyers don't want to be handed off. They want to feel like they're getting services across the organization. And if you think about it holistically, it should be marketing, sales, and our services and delivery at the end of the day. And that initial <laughs> sale is only, let's call it 20%, right? right? Because we got to continue to do this to continue to grow those relationships and build it. And it only happens together. All right, I got one more like, kind of detailed question. And this is really an opinion. So you mentioned personas earlier. And a lot of times in our projects, he goes, well, Carlos, who should own these personas? And on one hand, I go, well, marketing, because they're kind of creating the messaging about what we sell and to whom. So, hey, maybe they take the lead role with sales help. Other times I go, marketing is overwhelmed. Maybe we need to do this more from a sales operations or sales enablement perspective, and we'll pull others together. Sandy, love your opinion. I love getting a BDR's input because they're the ones talking to them all day, right? So they're banging out calls, sending the emails. They know the types of personalities and personas that are out there. So I think it's definitely not one person's responsibility. When I first started here and didn't really know as much about the banking world, I leaned on marketing a lot to just, okay, well, just who do you typically advertise to within the organizations and get different people's perspectives but at the end of the day, the people that are having the conversations and making the calls are going to give you the best insights. So I always try to pull in a BDR and get their input, get them to weigh in. Let's be creative. Like we've got the tools so we can try finding different people to message to and tailor messages that maybe they end up being a mobilizer in the organization, even though they weren't a C-level executive. 
So I think it's a mixed bag, depending on if you're in a startup, <laughs> it's just kind of whoever wants to send that email is to figure out like who to send it to. That's <laughs> pretty much how it happens, I think. So true. I love that because I often say two teams that are underutilized for how much they know about our customers are the BDR team, SDR team, and the CSM team. I don't know how often I'll say to sales reps, you want to know about your personas, why people are raving fans of what you do? Go talk to your CSM or account management team. They talk to our customers every single day. I mean, it's literally part of their title. They are responsible for the success of those customers. They are there to help shepherd them through how to best utilize and get value out of our products or services. So I love that you're pulling in those frontline people. I'm also a huge advocate for people who are prospectors because I was one for years and ran teams like that. And I I know that that's the thing that they're hearing every single day. So I love that answer, Sandy. But I need to change direction for us a little bit here because we're coming up on time. We asked each of our guests two questions at the end of every interview. And one is that as a revenue executive yourself, you get prospected to probably daily, if not weekly. What stands out and builds credibility and might even inspire a response from you when somebody reaches out to you who does not have a relationship? No warm introduction. So if it's an email, I love a great subject line with a personal either picture or video. And just knowing that they had a little bit of, they took a little time to know what Nimbus is about or my function, what I'm working on. I had somebody the other day reach out and then a relevant tool, right? So something that would definitely be in the revenue ops world that they have a good idea that I might be interested in. And having them, they sent, I think the subject line was related to an upcoming speaking event that I'm doing. And at first, I actually thought it was from the event coordinator. So I was like, oh, I better read this. And then I was like, oh, you know, I'm in Chicago and this and that. Like, it was a really thoughtful, wasn't too long because it didn't lose my attention. And there was just like a little picture in it saying hi or something like that. And it was personalized. And I appreciate that if it's something relevant that may interest me. I also appreciate a good cold call. Somebody getting my cell phone number and I pick it up because nine times out of 10, I'm going to pick it up because I think it's my kid's school calling or something like that because it's usually like a local number. And if actually it's, there's a tool that I'm looking at for sales enablement that I hadn't heard of. And this rep reached out, had an amazing cold call. It was just like one of those kind of quick got my attention. It's like, do you have like 15 seconds? And I'm like, okay. And he was great. Like, and I said, well, tell me in like 15 seconds, what do you do? Like, what is your tool? What's your elevator pitch basically? And he whooped it out and I got on a call with them and we're actually looking seriously at this particular product for an enablement solution. But he was great, but he cold called me. And I hear a lot, well, you can't make phone calls. Cold calling's dead. I do not believe that whatsoever. It is not dead, no. I think if you if done well and you have, you do it at the right time respectfully, it can be very effective. Because I'm grabbing the call. I was probably walking into the kitchen or something like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I got I have a couple minutes and that's how it went. So those are my two thoughts on that. <laughs> Love it. Thank you for saying that. In our prospecting course, we talked about obviously using multiple channels, obviously about showing that you know them. But hey, the phone is not dead. It has some of the best connection rates. 
you just got to be prepared when they do come on the phone. And so thank you for saying that. I think that's awesome. All right. Here's our last big ending question. We call the acceleration insights. What might be one piece of advice you would share with our listeners to help them in achieving their own goals and target? What would be that little nugget or insight you would want to give our listeners? I think what I've learned through my career is really understand your audience. So whatever the project is, what is in it for them? Why does your audience care? So if you're presenting to an executive leadership team, they don't want to see a bunch of process maps and diagrams and this and that and this other nonsense. They want to know like, okay, what does this do for me? Is this going to save me time? Am I going to have less meetings on my calendar? Do I, is this going to drive revenue? Is this going to help us make our number this quarter? Like whatever it is, what do they care about? Much like you're in a sales conversation, right? So if it's a new sales process, how can this save them time? How can this make their life easier? And what are the pieces of information they need to know? They don't need to know all of this technical stuff. They just need to know that they press a button and it does the thing. And if you do the thing, it's going to save you time or money and or make you money in a salesperson's case. So I don't know. I think it's just really always knowing your audience and it's not about you. It's about them and keeping it in that framework in anything that you do. Amazing. I love that, Sandy. So, and I think I know the answer to this now is, is be an amazing cold caller, but we always ask <laughs> if any of our listeners were interested in talking to you more about the topics we covered today or to hire you as a speaker, what is your preferred method of communication? On my LinkedIn, I have my either LinkedIn message, I have my email address on there and my cells all on LinkedIn. So any of those means would be great. Excellent. Well, we cannot thank you enough for being our guest today. And it's been amazing having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Okay. Thank you. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your dogs, your kids. Get them off screens for a little while. And if you enjoy what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I am your podcast host, co-host, Lisa Schneer, and I'm joined by my partner, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.